before I was pregnant myself, did not know that that one's blood volume increases 50%. The reason I figured that out was because I was constantly Googling things like shortness of breath after walking 10 steps, um, lightheadedness, um, can't get out of bed pregnant. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. This episode is brought to you by Cocoon. That's my coaching practice where I help people find their purpose, take creative risks, and define leadership on their own terms. If you're curious, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co. Hello, Hello Diana. <laughs> Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. Here we are. Here we are. We are back. Dusting off the old podcast. But Lisa, should we be back? We should be back. I think we should be back on this podcast. Um, I feel really good about that. Uh, I would say though, I'm not ready to be back in the world. Like I'm not, I'm not post quarantine yet myself. Uh, What is keeping you in quarantine, Lisa? Well, a baby in my belly Uh. is keeping me in my cocoon. I, I'm really happy to be pregnant and I feel like for me, this is the perfect time. Like, I mean, last summer also would have been great, you know, uh, but this also, this is still great because this situation drags on in various ways, but I don't care that much. I mean, I feel like I should have a caveat that we're probably going to make COVID jokes. We're in that part of the pandemic for sure. Yeah, yeah. We're going to make some like weird jokes. So it just depends, dear listeners, on like where you're at emotionally with this. (laughs) Which will depend on all kinds of things. We'll say for for future binge listeners, we are recording this in May 2021. Things are very weird right now. And they're very different depending on where you are in the world. Um, Exactly. There's no real way to have a unified experience of the pandemic at this point. So we are very tired of it. Uh, I will say I am very tired of it. Um, So uh, exhaustion leads to humor as a coping strategy, but it is still very bad. In the US, getting slightly better, but still very bad. Yeah, yeah. And just for context, I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Diana's in San Francisco. Um, yeah, and I would say, like, I just, I feel really lucky to be an introvert, 
Like I'm still cool with, I'm happy now to be able to see my vaccinated friends, um, you know, just small n number of them. And I'm like happy with a small in-person community. And um, yeah, I, the first trimester hit me so hard, so hard. I would say the whole time so far has been me being like, wait, I didn't think I was going to feel that pregnant already. Um, so yeah, I didn't leave the house much during the first trimester. I was so glad I didn't have a normal job or have to go <laughs> anywhere. I could just be coaching from bed, coaching from the bathroom. Don't tell anybody <laughs> about that top secret. You know, only not like on the toilet, but just like if, you know, I was near it in case because I was so nauseous. But if you're a client and you're listening, I didn't do it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been a very intense pregnancy for you. And I, I feel like I've, I've had a front row seat to it, even from a distance, because uh, we talk every day. Um, but I'm curious what the nicest thing about pregnancy so far has been. Um, expecting a child at the <laughs> end of it, I would say is the best, like nicest. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing to share in my relationship. Um, that just feels really special anticipating you know, and anticipating what it'll be like to have a baby, to be a parent, even though surely we have no idea and it'll be totally different from what we think. Like, it's just fun to kind of joke about like, oh, and when they're teenagers, like, you know, <laughs> as if we have any idea what it'll be like. Um, but you know how much I love thinking about the future. Um, oh, how could I forget? It is the ultimate lifetime opportunity. <laughs> like there's so much one could buy. I'm not going to say should or has to. I mean, I'm sure there must have been a time in the history of humanity when people had babies and did not have registries. Or this is not that lists. time. This is not that time. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. Uh, but yeah, I would say like there it's been physically harder than I expected. And I don't now I don't understand how pregnant people like do nine to five jobs where they have to go somewhere far from their own bathroom you know i i have no idea it is a great mystery and we would love any listener input uh that you are interested in sharing with us uh, i did not have nausea as a part of my two pregnancies i had a lot of other things but not that um and it just sounds horrible, you know, to be honest, <laughs> and, uh, really, really incompatible with, uh, with certain, with certain things. Uh, so 
yes, we're very curious if you, if that's your life, we would love to know more about it. Yeah. How did you, how did you make that work? I mean, I think, uh, so often I think about, um, childbirth, the labor and delivery process being challenging and like the recovery process. And I think about like maybe balancing, uh, breastfeeding and pumping while, um, working in a place apart from your child. If that's something you do, like, I think that sounds hard to orchestrate. Um, but I, yeah, I just didn't think as much about the physical challenge of being pregnant. I mean, like before I was pregnant myself, did not know that, that one's blood volume increases 50%. The reason I figured that out was because I was looking, constantly Googling things like shortness of breath after walking 10 steps, um, lightheadedness. Um, can't get out of bed pregnant. <laughs> All of that, apparently, even according to Google, which usually says everything might be cancer or death. Like if you just add pregnancy on to any symptom, literally, it will say, oh, it's fine. Yeah, that's because pregnancy takes over literally your entire body from your hair to your toenails. It reminds me of when we had our first kid and I Google all the baby squeaks while nursing normal. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a lot of, uh, a lot of mysteries along the way and, uh, you know, only Google can answer them. Yeah. Only Google and a doctor or midwife, <laughs> but it is so surprising to me how, cause usually when you're a non-pregnant person and you Google a symptom, it's always bad news on Google, mm -hmm. but with pregnancy, it's often not. It's like, Oh yeah. Like, um, very common, um, try to stay positive and eat lots of fruits and vegetables. And then I like throw my phone at the wall and eat cookies. <laughs> uh, would you like to share anything about your cravings? Oh my goodness. It is the great drama of my life these days. Um, uh, <laughs> another friend of mine said, I am a, a walking pregnancy cliche. <laughs> and then I was like, well, questionable how much I walk though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I, as, as a true Aries through and through, I have a very dynamic relationship to cravings. I just, I need something so badly, uh, all of a sudden it's like nothing I've ever felt. We talk about intuitive eating. And I decided that once I became pregnant, I was doing possessed eating. <laughs> like there was no choice. There's so much advice about what you should and should, so many shoulds about pregnancy. They don't matter when you are, your body is occupied by a demon, a food <laughs> demon. The food demon doesn't care what you should or shouldn't, you know? Uh, it's just like, well, 
we'll cook it and it'll be fine. We'll make it hot, kill things, and but we have to eat this. Um, so then I get the craving. At first, it was chicken, real hard. Like so, I needed chicken so bad, and I've never thought of chicken that way as a food to crave. And then eventually, the the craving goes away, and I get a new one. Like nothing really sticks. So at least a lot of variety is happening. So over time, all the nutrients are you know consumed in quantity. Exactly. There were no fruit, fruits and vegetables in the first trimester, but I get some now, <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like I feel like. I'm probably one day my child will become vegan and will be really horrified by what I ate during pregnancy. And I'm going to be like, it was not my fault. It was the food demon still trying to figure out whether that was you. <laughs> oh, what's been the weirdest thing that you've uh, satisfied a craving for? Oh, I would say they haven't been so weird. It's just been very carnivorous lots of meat and also um, soft pretzels at a certain point I really wanted soft pretzels and it's like where do you get a good soft pretzel in a pandemic you know like uh, so ultimately I ended up with soft pretzels from the freezer section at the grocery store which actually surprisingly you pop those babies in the microwave and they come with that big chunky salt and it works fine. It's great. It, it served its purpose. That's great. I've definitely become a big fan of the freezer during the pandemic, uh, you know, beginning with uh, stockpiling and treating the freezer as an extension of the pantry and continuing through the discovery that my children, now I have two children, will both eat frozen avocado chunks, mango chunks, frozen ravioli. I asked my toddler Cooper whether he wants the ravioli frozen or cooked and he usually says frozen. So fine by me, it's way less work. Uh, so, so, then, so then you don't have to cook it, he just sucks on it like a popsicle? Yeah, he just melts it in his mouth. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. I always learn so much from you, Diana. Well, the great thing about the frozen avocado chunks is they're much less messy than fresh avocado chunks because the creaminess is contained to the frozen ice crystallized object. Wait, so he, but does he do frozen ravioli like a popsicle? He does everything that way. Yeah, frozen ravioli he just puts in his mouth and then I come back later and it's gone. So I don't know exactly what the mechanism is, but whatever he's doing <laughs> works is working. I mean, he's growing. He's, he's doing growing. great. Yeah. He is two and a half and he's about the size of a four-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Great job, Diana. <laughs> uh, yep. As, as I hope it's okay to quote the doctor being like, your breast milk is very nutritious. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the better, one of the better compliments I've ever received. Um, <laughs> Uh, my other baby is a pandemic baby from last summer. Uh, I think last we checked in with our listeners, 
she was inside me and now she's outside me. Her name is Bentley and she is 10 months old now, almost exactly. The months, when you count in months, it changes very quickly because there's a switchover point two weeks into the month when it rounds up to the next month. And then I have to remember where we're at in the cycle. But uh, yes, she's 10 months old now and she's doing great. They're so funny. Uh, I didn't know how hilarious kids would be. They're definitely my own little sitcom. Uh, and I just love them to pieces. Um, I'm curious. Okay, just rolling back to last summer. What was it like for you to give birth during the pandemic? And I'm just thinking about how the first time you gave birth during wildfire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Natural disasters. We're here for it. These babies come into the world with very low expectations. Um, you know, I think that the main change to my pregnancy experience was actually in the anticipation of it. I spent a bunch of time during my first pregnancy looking forward to the birthing experience and wondering what it would be like and feeling fear and hope and excitement and organizing a bunch of things to make it as pleasant an experience as possible, like getting special soap, hand soap, liquid hand soap to bring to the hospital so it would feel homier and reading lots of checklists of all the different things you can bring, like your own pillows from home and your own towels from home and all these things. So there was a lot of planning and some of it was nervous planning, but a lot of it was nervous planning kind of converted into hopeful anticipation through uh, the magic of uh, shopping. So, uh, so that was my experience at the first pregnancy. And then I had a very beautiful delivery experience that was almost completely unrelated to the planning I'd done. The second pregnancy was always going to be different because I had fewer fears about it. And so I spent less time anxiously trying to generate hope and certainty around it. However, I lost some of the vectors for happy anticipation because I just knew certain things wouldn't be possible. We had a doula who I knew wouldn't be allowed to attend the birth in person because we were only allowed one support person per pregnant person inside the hospital. I knew we would have to wear masks, uh, my husband and I, and that is not the end of the world, but definitely different. It kind of medicalizes the whole experience because masks are common in hospitals for surgery also. And so I think the experience of being in a hospital bed with everyone around you wearing masks uh, was not the kind of maximally soft hospital experience I was going for, but it was what we had. And so there wasn't much to be done about it. And I think that in general, I just tried to go easy on myself with that pregnancy and not try to have it be any particular way, just focus on getting my daughter into the world. And in the end, it was very beautiful, I think, because I had such low expectations for the plannedness of the experience that I was more open to just whatever came. It's really hard to know how I would have 
handled it if it were my first pregnancy though, because I think some of my uh, relaxation about it came from feeling like I have a sense of how my body's going to handle this. And even if I'm wrong, I don't know that yet. So I have a feeling of more knowledge than, uh, than I did last time. I see. Yeah. And I mean, something that I experienced about you and also with a couple other friends who have been pregnant and delivered is like, um, the anticipation, the anxiety leading up to it, you know, quarantine related or not, just like that thing of not being able to control for that much of what's going to happen. Um, and, and then, um, afterwards, like blissed out, like just getting these messages so soon after delivery, where I imagine doesn't this person feel completely and utterly destroyed, you know? And I just get these messages like where it just sounds like you are on a really good drug of <laughs> love. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That is the truth. Uh, you know, oxytocin is an amazing thing. And uh, it's pretty incredible. It's like running a marathon. You know, it's, it's quite a feat in terms of just being able to have this cherished being in your arms. So yeah, I think that delivery mattered a lot to me this time uh, until I delivered and then it became a very small part of the story. Wow. Yeah, that's it's very comforting to me. Um, another thing that has been very comforting to me is reading the classic book by Ina May. Um, I can't remember what the title is, uh, but uh, I'll, pu I'll put it in the show notes. And um, it's really just a collection of birth stories um, uh, by a midwife who attended births in um, a rural place, not near a hospital, just a lot of these being home births or like maybe kind of a birth center. Um, so births without much intervention and without m many other options really. Um, and just, it feels triumphant reading this book. And I think that's really cool. Like such a celebration of what the body is capable of. And I feel really glad that I, I, I think more and more people feel empowered to share traumatic birth stories and um, like whatever their experience is. Um, but also for me right now, it has been just so helpful to immerse myself in a lot of positive uh, birth stories. And it makes me feel happy and strong. Like, yeah, right now it's hard to walk to the kitchen, but one day I'll do that. And yeah. I, I will be amazing. I'll be like a Hulk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought I read that same book and found it so wonderful to fill my mind with different hopeful versions of how it could go because that made me much less attached to any one outcome. I think that otherwise it can feel like 
the only thing I'm trying to do is avoid the bad because I hear all these stories about ways it can go wrong. And I just want a, a perfectly not wrong birth. But you don't, if you don't have a picture in your head of what that can look like, or the fact that it can look lots of different ways and there's not really wrong and not wrong, you know, it's just degrees of experience and your experience will be uniquely yours, but you're going to have it, you know, you're going to, you're going to have an experience and it'll be with you for the rest of your life. I think that it's, uh, it's helpful to see the range of possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, I get a taste of that with pregnancy too, because I, I've been, a, that it amazes me the variety of experiences with pregnancy, you know, how I could be nauseous 24 seven for like 13 weeks. And then some people have no nausea at all. And then some people are throwing up though. I wasn't throwing up actually. I just thought I might every single day, 24 hours a day. And some people feel that way the whole nine months. Oh my goodness. Like, and that's the same with all the plethora of symptoms. Like it's, it is really fascinating. Yeah. There's so many ways it can go and so many ways for it to be. And it's been really fun for me to see your experience, maybe because I don't have to, you know, experience it. So I'm mainly just rejoicing in the fact that, you know, you have you have a little one on the way and I'm going to get to love them and hold them and support you. And I have loved being a mom. So I'm really excited for you to be one too. Yeah. And see, now you get to experience what it's like to be an auntie. Yeah. Is the best because you don't do any of the work, but you just, <laughs> you just love on mama and baby and you get to enjoy the process. Um, so, uh, there, are, there, are, besides these major life changes, there are other things that have really shifted since our last recording. And one is your new job. And, uh, okay. I was wondering, would you like to tell us about your new job? Yes. Yes. We, we, we don't need a clever shipping question because it's just a lot of basics, uh, but they're delightful basics. I'm really, really happy with my new job. So I joined a VC firm called Matrix Partners as an investor, and I made this change in January. So to start the new year with a bang, a new job, new career, really, you know, I was coming off of almost a decade in product management roles. So it's a totally new chapter for me. And you know I love new beginnings. Uh, so this has been a really fun plot twist to have in the middle of the pandemic where there's been so much sameness. And really it was a pandemic born shift in a lot of ways because it was only because of my maternity leave, which I took from June through December last year, that I had the space to think about other possibilities, long time horizons, you know, parenting a newborn is very intensive, but there's also a lot of physical work that is paired with not being able to do much else with your brain besides just think. Um, and so I did a lot of thinking and I had the opportunity because everything was on video chat 
all the time to talk with a bunch of different companies about a bunch of different opportunities while being, you know, about ready to pop with pregnancy. You know, I, I did certain calls when I was nine months pregnant, you know, the one with my partner Antonio at Matrix was the day before my due date. So there I was enormous. And I told them that it was the day before my due date, but it was pretty amazing that after I acknowledged that the focus could really just be on a regular conversation because the video was just shoulders up, you know? So it was this incredible opportunity to simultaneously be my very pregnant or very newborn mom self and be this kind of professional self simultaneously. That was not my experience of my first pregnancy and delivery because I needed to retreat from the working world. At some point getting on the bus felt really uncomfortable and walking more than three feet felt uncomfortable. And, you know, anywhere I went, I had to plan for how I was going to pump after I delivered and all these things. This was not that. All I needed to do was you know, put on my long cardigan over my nursing tank and arrange the camera so that it was high shoulders up, you know, and have the conversation I wanted to have. So it was a weird side effect of the pandemic that I think led to a decision that I would have been excited about anyway, but I don't know what would have happened otherwise, simply because I had the headspace, but I wouldn't have had the logistical freedom to explore a bunch of unlikely hunches if every conversation was so costly and painful to get myself to. And so I cast a really wide net, including the possibility of staying where I was. I was very happy there. Um, but I found during my last maternity leave that that period of time was such a good opportunity for reflection and coming back to work with a lot of intention. And so I wanted to make sure that whatever I did was on purpose. So I ended up at Matrix and I've written some about this decision on my newly revived blog. So any, anyone who, uh, who has been uh, curious, uh, there are more words on that site than you might imagine. I've not done a lot to promote them because I decided that the secret to blogging is secretly blogging. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we Can we include the, a link in the show notes? Yes. Or is it is it that secret? That no, no, do? it's not secret. It's just, <laughs> uh, I had to let go of the idea that any of my posts would become very famous in order to just focus on getting the words out and enjoy expression. Um, so, uh, so I've written some about the decision, but I think that the, the key to know is that I think there was a part of me that wanted to do venture one day, but was blocking myself from really admitting that because I didn't have a plan for how to get there. It's a very small field with very odd inroads. And I didn't know how to get there. So I didn't even let myself want it. Yeah, so yeah yeah Diana this is I, I'm remembering that even when you had the opportunity like you were very close to an offer or something like that you, you were 
ruminating on like, but am I allowed to do it yet? Am mm. I really, is it time? And I, the whole time I was rooting for you, cause I knew this was a long-term dream. I was like, the future is now. <laughs> What don't put any more steps between you and this cool new thing that um, is clearly right for you and that you're clearly so curious about. And so, yeah, I wonder if you want to say anything about that feeling of like, is it really now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, what I eventually realized was that I had connected doing venture to having reached my final form somehow it was like my idea of heaven on earth and by the way it's like like all jobs it's not glamorous on the inside it's a job and it has pros and cons but there was something in me that was very drawn to it so much so that I treated it as this fantastical possibility that you only do once you're done with everything else and I had these really funny conversations with my now partners at Matrix where I would say, come on, you know, wouldn't I be better at the job once I do some other fancy product leadership job? And they said, maybe, maybe not, but we're saying you can do it now. So, you know, like, why are we even having this conversation? <laughs> and, uh, and it was very funny. It was, uh, real process of discovery because I was the one holding me back from it. Uh, they came in very sure about me. So I think that it was this kind of backwards process where I eventually realized how much I wanted it, but it took me a while to get there. And yeah. Yeah, Diana, I couldn't believe how much convincing it took to for, you know, all these people who were involved to convince you to let yourself have what you wanted. I believe that there had to be a catch, you know, because again, it seemed too good to be true. And I think one of the helpful realizations for me was that not everyone would see it that way. You know, it is a job where there's probably more demand for it than supply, just because there's not that many total early stage investing roles available on the planet. But it's not like every human secretly wants to be an early stage investor. You know, it, it, no. you probably wouldn't want to be one, right? No, definitely not. And so I'd sort of universalized this thing where I was like, if it's so great, why doesn't everyone do it? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it is great, but it's great for me for idiosyncratic reasons that make me especially well-suited to it, which make it uh, a good idea. I mean, I hope I'm well-suited to it. That's one of the funny things about the job is that you don't really know what your results are like for a decade or something. So it's the opposite of tight feedback loops, but I enjoy trying every day. Yeah, well, um, I I still like don't really know what you do. I know that uh, you talk to a lot of people, you have a lot of calls, lots of meetings, but also I try to like, I've been watching a lot of The Voice because it's just very, um, it makes me happy to be, hear people sing their hearts out, you know? It's just so beautiful 
Oh my goodness. Uh, but I sort of imagine you like one of the judges on the voice, like you're pro you must be in a chair that you hit a button and it turns around when you hear a pitch for a product or a company that you're like, yes, this, I could be a great mentor for you. And this is what I believe in. And I'm, yeah. And you hit the button and then confetti rains down. <laughs> is it kind of like that? That's not that far off, but I think there's <laughs> some differences. I mean, the, the main thing about the job is that my goal is to make at Matrix one or two great investments per year. And that is so few, you know, imagine going to work every day in a year and only quote unquote doing the job of making an investment on two of those days, if you're lucky. Sometimes it's zero in a year, you know? And so those seem like very extreme odds. And they are because the whole business of early stage investing is about seeking outlier companies that will go on to create outlier outcomes. So yeah, everything about the job is weird and funny because of those dynamics and those odds. You know, What I do every week is I try to find interesting ways to meet interesting people to the tune of 10 to 20 new people in a week. And, you know, mostly that happens organically. I track it for myself just so that I have a way to understand whether I saw a lot or a small number of people in a week and to make sure I'm progressing toward the goal of meeting a lot of new people at a high level of authentic engagement that can let us know whether to engage with each other now or in the future. So every half hour call I have with a founder is like a mutual job interview where, you know, one of the ways it's not really like the voice is that they're evaluating me too, especially in today's market, but I think it would be the right attitude no matter what, you know, I am trying to convey how I'm different and how our relationship could be special. And that means sharing my own story and trying to be respectful and present and test our relationship with each other, test that potential in that first call. So my days are kind of like usually a patchwork of three to four calls a day uh, with people I've never met before. And then maybe one or two calls with people I already know, uh, just catch ups or uh, you know, calls with my partners or anything like that. And then a lot of little gaps between those where sometimes I eat a snack, sometimes I catch up on email, sometimes I send random LinkedIn messages to people I'd like to meet. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you <laughs> avoid writing or you, <laughs> I love how the, it, it comes full circle, right? Because we started this podcast, the original title of the podcast was what should we write about? A podcast by two writers who'd rather talk, okay? And then it was just all about how like, it's so much easier to just talk about the stuff we should write about instead of actually writing about it. But you see writing as an important part of your, of your job now. 
Yes, for yeah. sure. Uh, but it doesn't have to be for everyone. I think that the, yeah. the insight on that is that writing is something I enjoy. And so there's an opportunity cost to not doing things I enjoy that could lead to serendipity because every day I don't spend doing that is a day I won't meet an interesting person in an interesting way because of something I wrote. And so uh, I do want writing to be a part of the job. And one of the nice things about the job, one of the things that drew me to it is that there's so many different ways to do it, but blogging is definitely a way. There's people who you know, made very good careers on just being big on writing their thoughts and sharing them on a regular basis. And I wanted that and I still do. I do think podcasting is easier though, which is part of why, uh, part of why we're back. Um, because yeah. I felt like I didn't want to get too much bottled up inside me. I wanted to, you know, I'm very hard on myself with writing and it's easy to get stuck. And I tried various methods for getting myself unstuck and some of them work and some of them don't, but talking with you is always a pleasure. Yeah best way to get unstuck from writing is to make a podcast episode instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's something I, I want to touch on, uh, which is that like um, the role of venture capitalist and the industry uh, is not, doesn't have a warm and fuzzy reputation. You know, like this was something you thought about a lot as you were going into it. You know, there are certain um, uh, there are certain jobs where you think about it and you're like, oh, that's just so wonderful, just so sweet. And and with VC, it's it can be very polarizing um, how people feel about the industry um, and how uh, specific VCs and specific firms have shaped the perception of the industry often for the worst. And so I, I remember speaking with someone about you uh, and they were asking, um, well, what's it like having your best friend become a VC? And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know that much about the work, you know, but um, generally, I perceive this work to to involve a lot of power, a lot of resources that you get to distribute, and a lot of responsibility. And I just can't think of anyone better that I would want to hold a lot of power and resources and responsibility because I just think that she will use that so well. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, that means a lot to me. And it was a big part of my decision-making process to realize that I was uncomfortable with the power inherent in the role, but none of my ambitions involved having less power. You know, all of them were going to end up with more power and I needed to reckon with that. There were versions that had less obvious power and were more harmonizing or cozy or, you know, product management is kind of, you know, power without seeming that way, you know, and 
the uncomfortable thing about VC is that there's no pretending, you know, you're in the, the cider's seat. And one of the hardest things for me has been, I'll end the day or end the week feeling so judgmental and then ask, who am I to judge? You know, and then I'll think that's literally my job. That's actually literally the thing I'm paid for is judgment, my judgment. That's, that's the whole thing. And that is a scary proposition, but I think that it's healthy for me in that it's so clear. There's not a lot of obfuscation in the dynamics. And I think reckoning with the real dynamics in their, in their real form is better than trying to pretend them away for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, um, uh, it seems so good for the field to have someone like you in it, uh, who is so thoughtful and self-aware. Um, and I, I like that you reminded me, us, that the people you're meeting with are also considering you, you know, it's a mutual, it's a mutual evaluation process and discovery process that it doesn't even always, I assume have to be about, um, good or bad it's about finding the right match yeah exactly and there's so many different ways that those connections can become quote-unquote good matches in the future I, that's one of the things i love about the job is that it deals in long time horizons and so many different things could happen over long time horizons and i love imagining those and trying to earn the right to them you know earn the right to have another conversation with this person five years from now when they're thinking who might have a good perspective on this, who will tell me the truth about what they think, who will be an open book. And so I view each of those conversations as sort of a test run and an opportunity to brainstorm what might be the trigger for us to reach out to each other again in the future. Yeah. And I imagine that maybe similar to coaching, like you probably get to learn something from almost every conversation. That's how I feel. I feel so lucky, like with every client and each of our sessions, I come away with like all these amazing ideas, um, which actually so often I have wished that I could bundle them up and like share them, you know, because uh, I can't, I, you know, I have to protect confidentiality. So I can't be like, you know, I'm talking to someone, I can't be like, hey, I just talked to somebody who had the same problem and figured this out for themselves this way. What do you think of that? You know, like I have to be careful. Um, but I'm glad that I, before I was pregnant, right before I got nauseous, I did two things. Thank you to my past self. Number one, I started another podcast because, you know, love podcasts uh, called Let It Be Easy, where I just made a handful of episodes where I talked about the most common themes that come up in coaching and just, you know, totally anonymously and often through my own experience as well, just shared like, you know, here are some of the things that help for this particular kind of situation. It was such a relief 
to finally get some of those things out of my head. Um, and then the other thing I did was making a uh, course, an audio course with my friend called Let, uh, Winging It. And well, I'll put both of these in the show notes. Um, uh, Winging It is also a bundle of things I've learned through so many coaching conversations and life experience around intuition, how to make intuitive decisions and live an intuitive life. So um, these, these are, I wanted to share those as like, um, even as there's so much going on with my body and I'm like less available as I wish I were, those are some ways that I hope, um, some resources that are available um, to, that where people can connect with me like while I sleep, basically. Um, and yeah, I'm curious for you too, Diana, like if this got people excited, like, oh my gosh, can't believe Diana's doing this. I would love to connect with her because X, Y, Z, like, like what should people reach out to you about? Wow. The answer is just about anything. It's never been a better time to reach out to me because uh, I am for once in my life in a position where my calendar is 95% free at the start of every week. Um, it is an amazing thing about VC. By the end, it's very full, but at the beginning, it's a blank slate. And it makes me so excited when I hear from people because every one of those gets me closer to having a calendar full of interesting conversations with interesting people that come to me in interesting ways. Um, so if you've ever thought about reaching out, now is a great time. Uh, and my email address for Matrix is diana at matrixpartners.com. Now in terms of extra special super reasons to reach out, if you are starting a company, definitely reach out. Uh, even if you are not sure, I'll be interested in investing in it because I like to meet people at the beginning of their journeys. And it's just very special to hear from you when you're starting something that you believe in. So I love having those conversations and I'm happy to be helpful however I can. Um, the other thing is we are still looking for investors to add to the team in Boston. And it's quite a special opportunity because I think Matrix is a really nice firm. It's just really nice. It's full of nice people. And that's not true of every firm. They, and so they, they convinced Diana, so they yeah. must be super nice. They are very, very kind and very insightful. And I did a lot of diligence before making the decision. So yeah, if you or anyone you know are interested in getting into early stage venture capital in Boston, uh, that's the place for hiring the most, let me know. And it's always worth a conversation. We don't know where that will lead. We don't know where it will lead right away. We don't know where it will lead over the next 10 years, but it's something I'd love to talk with you about if you're interested. Wonderful. Oh, this is so exciting. I like, as you were talking about it, I was like, oh, I wish I were starting a company or <laughs> I wish I wanted to be an investor. And then I could reach out to Diana. And then I was like, oh, wait, I could already reach out to you. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's really a lot of fun to, uh, to talk with people about what matters to them. It's a lot of what I loved about coaching, really. And I think that the yeah. job 
uh, are different in a lot of ways, but they're similar in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see how your coaching skills are being put to very good use. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to say before we go? I'm just very excited for your baby. <laughs> so go, go back to that. I'm very, very highly excited uh, about your baby. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, and I am excited to be back on Should We? Oh, it's time and it feels really good. It sure does. I'm so happy to be back. I want to also give a shout out to our true friends who have stuck with us through the ebbs and flows. You know, we just let ourselves um, not record when uh, it didn't feel right. And then we record when it feels right. You know, we don't really follow any shoulds with this podcast. We are just enjoying ourselves. And, and I really appreciate the people who continue to encourage us and and support us like all through that can i name a fan oh yeah i just need to thank kate i mean i feel like she's she's just one of our best true friends because she's like uh uh yeah she's she's just always excited and she doesn't seem to give up on us thanks kate <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Yeah, I it, whenever I get a mention on Twitter, there's a 90% chance it'll be Kate listening to an episode of Should We while she does chores. Yes, <laughs> love you, it. Kate. Love you, Kate. And uh, we keep meeting new people through Kate recommending the podcast to people too. So, you know, yeah. we really do this for us. You know, we're the ones who feel the lack of it in our lives when we're not doing it. And I think it's still kind of surprising that anyone else listens ever. And so we just love you all. And we are really grateful for the chance to be in your ears. Yeah. Thank you to all of our new and, and old fans. And um, if you enjoyed this, please share it with someone else who might too. Yeah. We would always like to meet more true friends. Yes. All right. Um, I guess that's all for now. We'll We'll see you next time or hear you. You'll hear us next time. <laughs> You'll hear us next time on Should We? On Should We. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.